Listen, I'm not trying to go fucking vegan here. I'm not trying to go paleo. I'm not, you know, this isn't the Atkins diet. This is the I'm going to walk two miles a day and eat a goddamn Reese's before I record a podcast diet. Say something. The perils of self-betterment. This is the Console Crusade Podcast with your hosts, EJ Olsen and Nick Durheim. Hey, hey, hey there. <laughs> that was so weird. I don't know. You're like doing like a goofy thing, but then it was kind of a crusty the clown thing. I don't know. I mean, I had to do something because you're being all surly and manly for once. Mm, they call me sexy jiggle. <laughs> Stirring my loins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My sweet, sweet dulcet tones. Do they get you randy? Okay, that's enough of that. All right. Consequently, say we talk video games, video game news, the whole nine yards, and officially Game of Thrones. Although this week, for those of you who listened the last two weeks, we will save the Game of Thrones spoiler talk for the end of the episode. So we'll wrap up the video game news about half hour, 45 minutes in. And then we'll transition to 20 minutes of Game of Thrones. We're going to break down the new episode. We're going to bitch. We're going to moan. We're going to speculate. It's all happening. So prepare your bodies for that. It's going to happen. Is your body ready? Is your body Reggie? My body is Reggie. Uh, old, uh, old Reginator made a Twitter. High tails it out of Nintendo and suddenly he's good enough for the people now. Ooh, ooh, boy, what are you drinking? You know I'm all about that Mure Pepino, the blackberry cucumber. So no uh, Safeway brand, no Winco brand, no Bubbly. No, I'm out of Bubbly, out of uh, the other stuff. Just got LaCroix in the fridge right now. Okay, so before we jump to the Reggie Twitter thing, (laughs) I I need to know, now that you have sort of expanded the roster in your fridge, what is your favorite sparkling drink? I don't know if I have a favorite. I don't know if I feel strongly enough about one particular flavor to be so bold as to call it my favorite. But I am very partial to the coconut LaCroix. That's like Ooh. my standby. But the apple bubbly is also real nice. Apple. And there's also some other good choice ones. I think the strawberry bubbly is pretty good. Okay. All right. And I think there's another. Uh, my brother was telling me about another brand that has a toasted coconut, like hmm. sparkling water. That's like apparently a little bit sweeter than the standard coconut that you'd get from LaCroix. So I'm wondering, is it the same sort of blend? Do they add it any like added Sugar alcohols? Are they doing some like stevia kind of mixed in oh, there? Oh, boo, boo! Yeah, some fake, some fake nonsense. But I don't know. I, I wanted to check it out to see if I could noticeably tell, like, oh yeah, this is better. Or this is like some weird knockoff offshoot. I don't give a shit about. Listen, this tastes like sunscreen, and I do not approve. <laughs> That's vivid. <laughs> people, do people say that about coconut Lacroix? <laughs> Right? It's really evocative of being six years old. I mean, they could be wrong all they want, but I know what's real and what's not. So so if you're a a, a brand shill, you're going to stay, you're going to stick with the LaCroix boy crew over here. I mean, it's just what's most available. So it's a lot easier to be kind of in that camp. You know, it's, it's the safe bet, the safe choice. I find that the LaCroix is the least chemically. You know, it doesn't taste artificial or processed in a way that some of the bubbly flavors can or like definitely like at work they fucking cheaped out and they bought like polar ice or some shit. And it's fucking wretched. It's just it tastes like 
all the LaCroix memes. Right. Yeah. Well, there's also really bad LaCroix flavors, obviously. You're not going to be wanting berry. <laughs> berry is very bad. <laughs> all the all the basic ones that they have in stock the most, It's they're in stock the most because they're for basic people who don't have real taste buds. And it's it's bad news. So you don't want the lime, you don't want the lemon, you don't want the berry. No one wants seltzer. How many times am I going to bitch about seltzer flavor on this fucking podcast? Why do they make a seltzer flavor? Well, I think it's just zero flavor. It's just bubble water. Yeah, which no is good. Shit. I like bubbly water. It's awful. Just, but I'm not going to pay for it. Ew. Get some. Get a soda stream, dude. I got Sarah a soda stream for Christmas, and we talked about this. It's great because I get an instant mixer if I decide to do a splash of soda in my whiskey. Yeah, whiskey makes me Canadian, apparently. Yeah, that's the truth theory. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. All right, okay, all right. Back it up. Tw- uh, Twitter, Reggie, originators on Twitter. Couple notable things. A, I'm actually curious now that I'm, I'm thinking about it. How the fuck did he get at Reggie? Dude, you don't think he's balling out of control? Get that big fucking COO money from Nintendo of America? You think he bought it or you think they've been camping on it in case they ever needed? Is there a difference or when you're Reggie fils I guess not. Bigfoot, big dick swinging in, you know, he just fucking takes it. So his Twitter bio, which I find interesting. So obviously Reggie's last day was last Monday, 18th? Tuesday. He had, he had his last day on a Monday. I remember that. Okay. That was like the thing. So his Twitter bio now says retired president, CEO, COO of Nintendo America, active business provocateur. What does that mean? It means whatever you want to mean. Apparently provocateur. Strip down in, in your underwear and let me pitch you my business idea. This is Shark Tank, but naked Reggie. His body is ready. Yo, that's a million dollar idea right there. Let's pitch that show to him in our underwear. On, on Shark Tank. On Shark Tank. Oh, meta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's cool. It's cool. You know, I really liked seeing that he's actually engaged. And obviously, he's only been on the platform for a week or less than a week. But it was cool to see... Now that he's kind of stepped down from that role, uh, that maybe he'll be a little more accessible to some fans. And it was cool seeing him follow a bunch of other quote unquote influencers and other content creators in the gaming sphere, some of which are like really small time. Has he actually done that? Oh, yeah. When I checked his Twitter initially, he was following, I think, like 17 people. And it was all like Associated Press and like Washington Post, you know, like the outlets. And the only quote-unquote, I guess, influencer was Jeff Keighley. That was the only person he was following. So, I don't know. I haven't checked it recently. He's following some of the bigger guys. Like, you know, you've got Chris Kohler on here, which is, you know, he's obviously a big-time games journalist. He's the, I think he's, like, the head editor of, at Kotaku. He's probably following, like, uh, Stephen Totillo because they had, like, their yearly interview at, at Polygon. Yep, Stephen Totillo. And then some of the bigger people in the industry, obviously, Kojima and whatever. But, you know, Paris Schneider... But he followed a couple of other guys that I follow, like Wood beat em ups. I don't know if uh, I wonder if he just went on a follow streak, and um, oh, he's following like Kelsey Lewin, who's really small time. She's she's oh, yeah, from the she's Northwest, like one of, up in Washington, right? Yeah, she's one of the owners of Pink Gorilla Games, part of the Metal Jesus, uh, Metal Jesus crew. Uh, Spawn Wave. I mean, Gerard the Completionist. Like these guys that I've been watching for years and years, and that have cool. idolized Reggie. And they all kind of were like, oh my God, Reggie's following me. It's that was fun to see. He's probably got uh what's the uh Pro Jared. He's probably following Pro Jared. Dude, Pro Jared, they had a really funny and sort of cute back and forth together at conventions and at they had that video like right when the Switch was coming out, I think, where they would like ask each other a question about Nintendo stuff. 
Right. And like one of the questions Reggie asked him was like, what's the worst Nintendo game? He's like, oh no. <laughs> That's a bad question. <laughs> what are you doing to Reggie? So some of the cool things that Reggie has tweeted out, and I want you to break me down on this, Nick, because I didn't even realize this, but he posted a couple of cute things. You know, there's a notebook with him with a laser on his eyes, probably the Regimeter. His head. Right. And then there's a plastic ass he can kick. And a couple other things. Tell me about the picture, because I, I somehow didn't catch the part that you mentioned uh, just a little bit ago. Well, it's uh, a piece of like artwork from some of the artists, I guess, from Retro Studios, who, of course, we know is working on Metroid Prime 4 and was rumored to be making that other game for the last few years. They also worked on the Donkey Kong Returns and Tropical Freeze games. And they sent him this artwork, and it's got, you know, Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, Dixie Kong. Samus, a Metroid, and very conspicuously, there's like another little character obscured completely by a little Mario statue in front of the picture in a frame. And people are obviously immediately just zeroed in on that and are speculating, what the fuck is this? What's going on here? Is this from the game that Retro was reportedly like leaked last year that they're mm. working on a Star Fox racing game? Like, is this a, is this Rob 64? Is that the weird robot from from Star Fox? Is this some new character? What's going on here? And also, like, you have the main characters of those franchises hanging out. Why would they have some robot from, like, an established franchise that is a extremely tertiary character, like a D-ranked character? Right. I couldn't even name you three characters from Star Fox. I, and the, I didn't it's not even, even a Slippy Toad. It's not a Falco Lombardi. It's not Peppy <laughs> Hare. It's not Fox McCloud. It's not Wolf O'Donnell. It's not any of them. Oh! They have last names! They do. Pigma Dengar. What? I can't remember... Andrew McKinney, I think, is uh, the the monkey. Andrew, um, what's, I can't remember. I can't remember Leon's uh, last name. The great Leon. He's the chameleon. Okay. Part of Star Wolf crew. There's also General Pepper. Yeah, come on, play a goddamn, play a goddamn Star Fox. What a hoot! It's also Crystal, the sexy fox that made everyone a furry in like 2004, whenever that game came out. Dude, that's I remember that. No, I don't actually. I didn't know what a furry was until. I'll, Probably I graduated until high school. It was too late. <laughs> we had bronies, but we didn't have furries in high school. I always felt like furries was before bronies in my discovery of the internet. And sure, okay. Awful counterculture. You you were you were in the deep end, bro. You were on the dark side of the internet. I tried to yeah. keep it, you know. <laughs> Another thing he tweeted out: someone made him a custom Satoru Iwata amiibo, which is adorable, and he put it next to his, his little uh, his little Reggie amiibo. And uh, it is, man. I I know we've talked about Iwata on this on this podcast before, but the the Holy Nintendo Trinity had such a deep and profound impact on our childhood and our you know, especially you know, some of my fondest memories with you. And how sad is it that their last E three that they showed up together? I mean, Iwata wasn't even in the twenty fifteen E three showcase thing, like literally. They had the the puppets. I think that was 2015 or the right. one in 2014. I just remember it was the worst year for like what they showed because all the games ended up being really, really bad. Cause that, but they had awesome moments. Like they had the literal like Muppet style puppets walking through the hallway and it was Awada getting Miyamoto and then getting Reggie and Reggie's doing push-ups and he's counting Nintendo 62, Nintendo 63, <laughs> Nintendo 64. And then he, he gets out of the room. He's like, my body is ready. Just, <laughs> they do all the bits. Yeah, but then they show Star Fox Zero, Animal Crossing, the party game. They showed some Skylander game. Like it was a wretched E3. Yeah, 
terrible games. And it was like super long, bad pacing. But that was the last Iwata one, I think. And it's like, ah, God damn it. The bits were good, but the games were bad. It. This might be total hyperbole. This might be overboard. But like the thought that possibly the stress from the Wii U killed Iwata. And it, it because things were dire. Nintendo was bleeding money. Like they were cutting their own salaries to keep employees on. And it was like, is this the death of Nintendo? Like, they they have to sell their IP and work with other companies now. And it was like this really kind of a dark time for Nintendo, both financially and in in you know pop culture. But the Switch completely they completely redeemed themselves with the Switch. And it was like, in my eyes, there's like this validation. Obviously, the Wii U is not solely Awada's idea. There's a whole team of engineers and 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 people who are pitching these ideas. But but this whole thing he believed in with the Wii U really came to fruition with the Switch and was executed the way that I think they initially, uh, maybe not how they initially envisioned it, but but the, the whole idea of taking your games with you, that's the Switch. And and the Wii U hadn't failed the way it did, we wouldn't have the Switch we have now. And so it's a bummer to think about that. But yeah, I'm hoping that we get some fun, like maybe we'll get like a post-mortem, some interviews. Maybe he'll open up a little bit about how that all went. I doubt he was going to be too forthcoming. He was always very good at deflecting questions while he was actively in the position. So I doubt there's going to be much pulling back of the curtain afterwards, but he seems like a very entertaining guy and he's always been really fun in videos and stuff. So I think he's just, he's worth a follow at the very least. Yeah. And he's a guarantee under the same NDAs that he was in as an employee. Nothing has probably changed in regards to what he can and can't say. Um, Probably even more strict now that he doesn't work for the company. So I wouldn't expect any sort of, you know, there's not going to be any wink, wink, anything. But he'll be more active, and he'll be around, and he'll engage with people, and that's, you know, that's cool. Maybe he'll finally give us Mother Three. The one regret is we never got Mother Three before uh, before he stepped down. But yeah, the the meme will be endless if it ever does come out. They'll be like, it was Reggie's fault all along, right? <laughs> Reggie <laughs> did this, <laughs> dude. That would be so cool if, like, when they go to release Mother Three, if they go to release Mother Three, that they do a bit about that. It's like Reggie is the villain. To. They literally have to. There's no way they couldn't. They're they're very aware. They're they're exceptionally aware. They know. But the idea that Reggie is the, like he was the villain, like he was he orchestrated the whole thing, and and like now that he's gone, you know, Bow, Doug Bowser finally was able to deliver. You know, that's that's a hundred percent what they should do. I I see them doing that, but they could also not do that. Fun fact: uh, the anniversary from other threes release in Japan was just over the weekend. Oh, what four twenty baby? Thirteen years. Yeah, 13 years. Wow. 06 for the Game Boy Advance when the DS came out two years before. That's so funny. I was just, I read a I read a five-page uh, like article basically detailing the traumatic rise and fall of hope for Mother 3 in the West starting from 1996 until 2018. Dude, that game went through, I mean, just, it, it was developed for the 64, the GameCube, and then finally the Game Boy Advance. Just development hell. Never confirmed for me development in the the GameCube, but it was being in development for the 64 disc drive and Mm. then the 64 and then the Game Boy Advance after a few years of kind of quiet after officially canceling it in 2001 or whatever they did that, 2000, 2001. Just a nightmare trajectory. I think that that game is... I I never finished it, but I did complete Earthbound and I think Mother 3 is probably better than Earthbound. Mechanically, yeah. They they definitely smoothed off a lot of edges and added some really interesting mechanics with like the the tempo system for getting combo hits. I thought that was really cool. And they just I don't know the character designs and the storylines. It was always so 
key to those to those games in particular. I had a lot of heart. Yeah, a lot of a lot of character. A lot of character. And if they put it out, I am bound by oath to to buy it. Even though I've played it and beat it, I'll, I'll buy it and play it and beat it again. Fuck it. It's only like twenty hours. Right. That's so funny. We've 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 gone around this carousel of like, why do they need to release it? Like the people who want to play it can play it. You know, there's no point in doing an official translation. They're just going to neuter it. It is the most high profile game that's only been released in Japan that people are actively seeking to get released elsewhere. What other game can you think of that's like, why haven't they re- translated and released it? What's the, the highest profile game after that is what? Sagan Densetsu 3? That doesn't even have an English title? Like, what the fuck? No one cares. I mean, that's, that's a good point. It's the people are clamoring for it. There's no reason not to do it unless it is just like a, a PC thing. You know, it's the game's got some inappropriate references and some some mature themes and very mature themes. I mean, there's a very high profile scenes of like animal abuse and what could be considered like transphobic imagery. And that'd be very rough to be able to get around that. Things are different in Japan, man, that culture and. And and then the way things are translated, it's like, oh, that's not meant to be X, Y, or Z. It's actually this. But good luck trying to explain that or 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 delineate that into a concise translation. Translation that you know, it's I understand it's a mess, but Nintendo's dealt with worse. I mean, they haven't dealt with worse in a better way, though. That's true. Most companies don't deal with with those. That's sort why of- they've chose. They just haven't dealt with it. <laughs> so that might be part of the reason why. Who knows? We never know. Yeah, swing in the opposite way here. From one of our most beloved things in the world, Nintendo, to uh, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> the opposite of that spectrum. To be fair, Assassin's Creed's cool, man. They've done a lot of great things and and somehow still remaining relevant. But they were in the news this week. You know, Notre Dame went up in flames. One of the spires toppled. And amongst the PR, you know, the sort of whirlwind surrounding the people donating money and, and the, the conspiracy speculations and whatever. Uh, Ubisoft, whatever the fucking company's name is, decided to release, let people download Assassin's Creed Unity for free and they're donating to the, the reconstruction of Notre Dame. Yeah, something like half a million euros, I believe it was. That's a lot of currency. They got they got it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that translates to Money I spend, but it's a lot of currency. I think euros are like one and a half times more valuable than dollars. So oh. probably like oh. seven hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand dollars, probably around there. If I'm if I'm even accurate with the five hundred thousand euros thing, that's just what I remember seeing. But like you said, there's been a lot of people donating a lot of money to get this old building rebuilt or yeah. whatever. But what's interesting about this whole thing is that obviously, so in the game that they have done is close to a one to one recreation of Notre Dame within the game. And so this just sparked something in my mind. It was very interesting to me. And it got me thinking of other games that have done this with other monuments and other like cities. Like Spider-Man just did this insanely detailed representation of, of New York. Yeah. And a lot of that has to be like interpretation based on the confines of actual game design. But if you're just doing like a singular building, that makes it a little bit easier to justify being wholly accurate. Because you don't don't want to actually play a one to one recreation of New York City that would get very tedious to travel across. But you want to have a a good feeling. It got it's got to feel like it. That's it. But I was actually reading that they couldn't actually legally put their they they scanned the entirety of Notre Dame Cathedral, uh, the 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 finest measuring tools and lasers and 
<laughs> all this crap imaginable. Yeah. But they couldn't actually make it in the game one-to-one legally because the the building is copyrighted. Right. Because that's how architecture works because it's considered like, I think it's co- uh, covered under art law. Like it's it'd be the same as me copying a JPEG that you made and be like, this is my JPEG. This is my JPEG. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> that cathedral is my JPEG. Right. Uh, but but it's close and it's close enough and it's but still from a historical perspective it's like say Notre Dame did burn down Assassin's Creed Unity now is the most accurate representation photo video or otherwise fully 3D and explorable that's kind of fascinating to think about and in another thousand years five thousand years if we're still here you think those buildings will be? No. And it's not necessarily the only or the most uh, accurate representation. I know there was some article that was touting a uh, digital artist in 2003 mm-hmm. went and scanned the entirety of the, the cathedral. And I think they're going to be going off of some of his scans as reference during the rebuilding process. Oh, wow. Okay. To make it as accurate to the original structure as possible or the original structure as of 2003. But I think that's really uh, a really interesting sort of way that we can go about preserving these monuments because they're obviously they're made of things and things erode and decay over time but having the knowledge of those things might be able to preserve them in a more permanent way i guess yeah and and also it got me thinking about like vr and applications in that respect and obviously you know people are already doing vr tours and stuff and that could be a really cool thing and you know museums and whatever google earth VR thing that you can do. Uh, I, I haven't seen that. Which is, you know, it's not like fully VR because you can't like move your head side to side and actually get a different image, but it's like a fishbowl view. Uh, you can just like move around everywhere that you would be able to do like street view and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it I, seems like a really cool kind of like, it would be like a paper craft kind of representation of the world where it's like very blocky polygons, but then with photographed images being sort of projected on top of them. But I've heard really good things about it, that it's a really cool experience. I've been uh, editing VR photo and video at work lately and and compiling these virtual tours. So mainly just right now, you know, you go out in the field. uh, We've got an Insta360, like this globe with multiple cameras. Yeah, I was going to ask if it's actually just the 360 video. Yeah, it's a really high end little little machine, and you just go out and, and do the thing. And so right now, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm I'm stitching everything together, right, and guiding this this little tour, like putting hotspots. So this this door leads you here, and and whatever, and just kind of making everything pop a little bit. But it's it's interesting to see like this is how this technology is going to be used in the future, and we've waxed on that plenty. But yeah, it just sort of got me thinking. It was all this all coincided in the same week, and I'm like. There, there's some cool applications here for that and touring these landmarks, you know, and I wonder if that's going to sort of prompt others to do the same for some similar landmarks across the world. Man, Nintendo just saw into the future when they made that 3DS guide to the Louvre. Oh, deep cut, dude. Remember that thing? Oh, can't, I never, I never experienced that. I can't imagine how fucking just awful that was. I mean, I'm sure it was really like, a little bit corny. But it would also be really cool. Those guided tours are actually really interesting, entertaining. It's nice to sort of do it at your own pace and just plug in some headphones. So having an AR camera and being able to like hold it up to the Mona Lisa and it can tell you some information about Da Vinci or something, that seems like, why not? And then you just think about in the future, once like resolutions and computing power 
is stronger and more easily accessible. You just put on a headset and boom, there you are in like one of the most prominent historical art museums in the world. Like, dude, that'd be fucking cool, right? I've said this before, but I can't wait till I can buy courtside tickets to a Trailblazer game and and put on my VR headset and have totally seamless, fluid courtside experience live. They have that, don't they? For I don't know if it's in all arenas, but I think they have uh, VR seating. Yeah. For NBA games. And I think you can like go to different sh- like shots. You can like be like, oh, I'm going to teleport over to the basketball, like the actual hoop. Yeah. And like see people fucking dunk on your face. <laughs> so I, they did that for a Warriors game a couple years ago. And I remember it being really, really rough. Like it was not, it, it's not at a point where they could sell that for a premium and get people to, you know, actually invest in that. But it, the idea is there. And in a couple of years, if that's some, some technology they want to invest in, they could really make this a high end deal and be like, all right, I pay $200 a year for courtside VR experience for all, all my favorite games. Like, absolutely. I'd imagine a lot of that has to do with the, your, well, your experience was being poor. It might have to do with the audio. How was the audio in that? I don't recall how the audio was, but the picture was, was, it was jaggy and stitched weird mm. and laggy. Yeah, you're, you're streaming it, I guess. I wonder if like a, a VOD would be better. You like taper in on the quality. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. What the solution was it just on is, like a Google Cardboard or was it like actually on a a real headset? Like no, it was. Vibe? I was literally on my phone and doing this number because I didn't have a headset. Right. But right, yeah. So I mean, you can only do so much. Your bit rate's only so good over Wi-Fi or yeah. It's heaven true. forbid, if you're just on 4G, like ooh ooh. Yeah, I, I don't recall, but but the idea is really cool. But new technology, Nick. Way of the future. Way of the future. You know, looking ahead. PS5, dude. Was it uh, our old pal Mark Cerny came out and did a little interview and gave us a little breakdown on PS5? He was like, listen, it's a coming, but not this year, so fuck off. <laughs> like, we can, finally, we can finally rest easy. Our hopes are still intact that NAC 3 is not dead yet. NAC 3 is not dead. Coming to a PS5 near you, probably end of 2020. Do you think... Okay, there's there's a lot to unpack about this. Interview. Yeah, did you actually get a chance to to read through and get the the breakdowns and like the demonstration that they gave to Wired and all that kind of stuff? I wrote a, a read a breakdown of what because they were like it's going to be this type of processor and it's going to support you know they're talking about 8K graphics support. It's going to have an SSD. It's going to be backwards compatible. The, you know all the things we care about. It didn't say 8K graphics support. It just said 8K output, which is different. Fair. Fair. I think the Switch can do 4K output for video, I think. Oh, that don't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. So people have got their panties in a twist all about the 8K output. It's like, that means nothing. That's just a HDMI standard. That's 2.2 or whatever. Right, okay. So give me give me the breakdown here on this. And I'm curious to see what else there is to it. Because, you know, I thought it was interesting. He never called it the PS5. He said the next PlayStation. So I don't know if they're keeping their options open. It would be weird if they abandoned the number... Scheme, they right? probably want to keep their options open, but I think they didn't refer to the PS4 as the PS4 until they announced the PS4. Oh, okay. They're just being coy. Yeah, I think I don't know what this what purpose this served. It's not like they were really itching for a like a a marketing like news beat. I don't know why this event happened. I heard some conjecture that Wired may have had a, like a leaked like a uh, dev kit. And had confirmation of like what the specs were. And maybe they approached Sony and was like, hey, we're going to run this unless you want to actually make it official and give us the exclusive beat. And it'd be like a, a schmancy way for Wired to be like, 
the ones that got to see the PS5 in action. That That's kind of sketchy, dude. That's fucking blackmail, dog. If it works, it works. I don't know. As journalists, they have a they have a responsibility to give their news to the people. You know, sure, but but blackmailing a company—it's not blackmail. That's saying, hey, we're gonna do this. If you want to do something before we do that, then that'd be great. You know, so blackmail. It's not blackmail. It's I mean, blackmail. It's not dirt. I mean, it's it's taking something a company doesn't want known and extorting them for something that benefits you. It's it's blackmail. It's extortion, and they got what they wanted. If that's the case. It benefits Sony just as much because people love to talk about PS5. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's interesting because they're not at E3 this year. They aren't releasing any any first party games this year, so this is kind of keeping them. I like how you say that when Days Gone comes out literally this week. I, sorry, it, after Days Gone, that's the last of the the heavy hitters that they had already announced, and then going into the next quarter, it's dry the rest of the year. And Days Gone, I mean, we don't know how that game's gonna do. That's kind of gone yeah. through some issues itself. Big question mark. It's been a long, long time since Sony Benz put out a game. But I mean, Sony Santa Monica took a long time with God of War. I don't know. People were more bullish about God of War, but Days Gone could... It's going to be fine. Finds what they want for their only first party release of the year. So after Wired, gray-mailed Sony, potentially. Gray-mailed, you fucker. Like I said, that's purely just conjecture. Nobody even knows like why they got this sort of reveal or anything. Mark Sony showed... So PS5 confirmed to be backwards compatible with PS4 games. We don't know how that's going to be implemented necessarily yet. If the your PS Store uh, games will transfer over or if they're going to pull a Nintendo Wii U and be like, hey, if you want your Wii Virtual Console games, pay us a dollar for each one. We'll transfer it. Like, we don't know how it's going to work. Yeah. We can't never get your hopes too high. <laughs> Sony could easily be fucky with it. I mean, imagine all those games you bought on PS3 that were, you know, indie games that you didn't get on PS4 because... It's not a PS4 game, but right. I digress. So backwards compatibility. He mentioned uh, VR is going to work. He didn't say if there's going to be a next-gen headset. You would imagine there probably is because nobody wants to use a fucking move wand and use the PSI Ugh. and get all that crap, that ancient technology that they retrofit onto the PS4 from the PS3, like 2008, you know? And then the big thing, the biggest thing that they're talking about and showed was Mark Cerny being super excited about this SSD and what's probably an M.2 sort of uh, connection that they're going to be doing with the SSD where the load times will be significantly reduced and they showed Spider-Man running on the PS4 and if you do a fast travel it takes about 15 seconds and they showed it running on a low power version of the PS5 or whatever you know the some unknown thing in a hidden box Wizard of Oz style, but they run it on that one and it loads in less than one second. That's insane. That, I mean, that is, I don't want to say game changer. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but that's that's really big, man. Especially if you're playing Spider-Man on the regular PlayStation, dude, that thing just chonked, bro. That thing, load times every time you fast traveled or every time you went into, you know, the next uh, a mission or a building, it just chugged. So Call that your Twitter time. I'm pretty sure that's what broke me as a, as a human. As a, as a man was as you know 19 20 years old uh it's probably when i quit reading heavily for recreation and and my attention span went out the window it was directly be directly correlates to when i got a smartphone and then getting in the habit of 
playing Skyrim and during all the load times, it was just scroll through Twitter mindlessly and I fucked up my attention span. And since then I can't read for pleasure the way I, I did for 20 years of my life. So thanks to the smartphone and thanks to the load times. Thanks, Todd Howard. It you motherfucker. Broke me. God damn Checking it. all these cheese wheels. It's not worth it. But yeah, that was like the big thing. Using an SSD it seems like a really good improvement from the prior hardware. That a 5200 RPM fucking hard drive? Yeah, quite the upgrade. Yeah, I mean, ancient technology at that point. But for a long time, SSDs have not been very uh, cheap, you know? So Bro. who knows how expensive this box is going to be? I mean, good SSDs and like a good M2 and like all that kind of stuff. But apparently the connection is is something that's new this year. Like, it's not the old way of doing it. It's not the SATA huh. cables and, or whatever. Okay. I, I saw uh, a deal this morning in my inbox, a, a one terabyte M2 drive for $99. That's nice. And I was like... That's good. That is insane. I think I I think for my half terabyte, my 500 gig SSD, is it, five, it might be 250 actually. I think I paid about that much. Yeah. That's insane, man. Things are... Uh, That's what, like two years ago? Things are plummeting. So, uh, th- this I, I like... What he was saying, okay, the fact that they are not abandoning the home console market, they are going to keep the status quo going. Obviously, who knows how this branches out when it comes to parallel consoles and power tiers and iterative and different hard drive sizes and all that. Right. But one that doesn't have a disk drive or all that kind of crap. Oh, I hope they don't get rid of the disk drive. Keep giving me games in some form, whether it's a cart or a disc keep it's going to be the highest selling one because there's so many people that still don't have good enough internet to go all digital anyway yeah but once you see places like gamestop dying off then you're going to have a lot less of a reason to have a resale market and like to begin with like if you have a bunch of hard discs what are you going to do with those if you wanted to get money for them you're going to go to like some pawn shop you're going to go to craigslist you're not going to get dick for that disc i just feel like it's it's like i don't know you, you would still rather buy the physical game because there's always the option of Craigslist, eBay, whatever, than I'm going to buy my games at full retail price digitally and then just be stuck with them. My main reason, besides being a collector and having that incessant itch of having the thing on the shelf, right. is I like to have the ability to lend games to friends, too. That's oh, my yeah. main reason. Dude, DRM, dude. Yeah. Going Xbox One on your ass. This is how I share a game. The other thing, really, that... um was displaying well not displaying because they didn't actually show it but Mark Cerny mentioned that there's going to be a version of ray tracing which AMD doesn't have any cards that um, support that natively yet so you'd imagine that's going to be in this year's model NVIDIA just did that last year with their 20 series with the the RTX the ray tracing the realistic physics based light models right that up to this point were just too compute heavy to be realistically displayed in a real time manner but now we've seen some games uh, incorporate that, like Battlefield on PC and Metro. But it's limited in how much better it actually looks because the the people developing these games haven't had enough time to optimize for it. But I think it's going to be really cool once you start seeing a, a mixture of pre-baked lighting with the RTX mode and get some like really nice optimization and really showcase that the abilities of that technology. And I think lighting in general is like what turns a good looking game into a great looking game yeah besides like art direction like if you have the art direction and you've got good animations and you've got good lighting then you've got a good looking game like those are like the three biggest things for me personally and then 
also using ray tracing for a more realistic spatial audio on like yeah. a hardware level, which seems What's like really about? cool. Like, I don't know what it's about. He just mentioned it and he said that Sony was lagging behind in audio uh, compared to the Xbox One. Well, he didn't say that, but like people have read into that because the Xbox One actually has like Atmos audio and like all this kind of stuff like built in. Okay. And Sony did, didn't really focus on that this generation. Like they had a really small leap in audio quality between PS3 and PS4 besides just hard drive space and having less compressed audio in general. But using ray tracing to sort of on a software side be like, okay, this is the sound file that plays from this water drop hitting over here. But if you're in a by a rock wall that's going to reflect and sound differently than if you're standing next to a soft wall or there's foliage in between you and the like that could really play into it depending on how deep into it the audio designers and the actual game designers get into it but that seems like a only a good thing giving more options is always nice and if you push the hardware then then software designers are like going to play with that people love to push the abilities of the hardware that's how you get great truly immersive immersive experiences these bleeding edge pushing it to the limit games experiences it's funny how we talk about diminishing returns when it comes to graphical fidelity and and frame rates a huge debate but we're talking about the sound like the sound isn't immersive enough like dude half these dudes are playing this thing on their fucking tv without a sound bar or headphones with their fucking baby crying in the next room like what are you talking about sound for like give us fucking Decent graphics at a steady frame rate at a high resolution. Like it's just it's just I know, funny. sound. I think is really 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 cool. It's very important. Yes, it's the least sexy of the of the important aspects of a game. Like you, people t- talk about the graphics because you can show it in a picture. It's a lot easier to show what the graphics look like. But game feel and audio is also incredibly important. Responsiveness and all that. Yeah, and even if you don't have like. So if you're playing this in headphones, if it's all software side, if you're just playing sounds in each ear, then you can simulate the idea of it being further off and then your mind is tricked into thinking, oh, that sound happened far away or that sound happened over there and you're just hearing it in your ears, like just two channels, just stereo channels. You don't need 5.1 to get that sort of faux 3D effect. It's just mind blowing. It could be, be cool. It could be cool. But they do do that now. Do do they do do? Uh, so looking ahead to launch titles, people keep talking about how oh, The Last of Us Two and Kojima's Death Stranding and Horizon Two. None of those are going to be launch games. None of them. Knack three, baby. It's going to be Knack three. No consoles don't have launch games like that. It doesn't matter if Death Stranding has been in development for you know x many years at the point that this new console is released. They don't launch those kind of games with consoles. Sony doesn't. Nintendo did last time. Breath of the fucking wild. Only because that was a Wii U game that they sat on. They did it for Wii also, Twilight Princess. <laughs> a GameCube game they sat on. Yeah, no shit. Mario 64, Super Mario World, Mario Brothers. It's a different AB, world, bro. It's a different Tetris. world. Different time. Don't forget, Nintendo 3DS launched with a Pilot, Pilot Wings, wings. <laughs> 3D, <laughs> and a submarine game, if I recall. They really hitting all, all the niches were filled that day. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> it for video games today. Boom, we're done. I got to rant about Game of Thrones for a little bit. Let me pull up my notes. Guys, it's the Console Crusade. 
You got to find us online. All right. You can email us. Feedback at consulcrusade.com. Twitter console underscore crusade. We're on the Facebook. Yada, yada, yada. Nick is at Preshel Death on Twitter. I am at EJiggle. Find us. Turn this off now if you do not want Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 2, Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Spoilers. It's happening. I have so much to say about this, Nick, but I need you to kind of guide me point by point here. I do have notes, but... Yeah, you watched the episode twice. I don't know if I can remember everything. I, I watched it. I was really tired last night after having Easter dinner with the fam and getting home at like 11 o'clock and I watched Game of Thrones and I went to bed. So it's going to be hazy for me. All I know is that I didn't even know that the episode had a title. It didn't have a title on Amazon. It said episode 69. Right. Nice. Nice. It did not have a, a title initially. And I wonder if that's a, uh, I like the little, uh, little knowing glance to the girlfriend in the corner back there. <laughs> Ow! Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I found it uh, interesting. I don't know if they were trying to avoid spoilers. So, initially, they, they didn't have the episode title. I don't know. Maybe it just hadn't populated yet because... Yeah, they've kept all the, the titles buttoned up. I don't even know what the title of the first episode was of the season. Winterfell? Oh, it was? Think, yeah, yeah. Before, it was just episode 68. Yeah. A couple of things about this, Nick. I am overall disappointed again. And not because it was slow or whatever. The, w- the way I thought about that first episode, which I thought was just like kind of a wreck, whatever. But this had some this had some bad character on character interactions. A I lot think. of bad ones. Yes. Like, like some of them started out OK and then it just kind of spiraled out of control. So I'm just going to go through my notes, which I kind of took as I went through on my second watch. Yeah. Chronological. Not not totally, but close enough. So here's the deal about Daenerys, bro. She is awful, short-sighted, quick to anger, no trace of charisma. I, I don't understand her relationship with John. It is so forced. It seems weird. It I I think the showrunners don't know whether they want her to be someone you cheer for or someone you want to fail. And that's like it's hard to be a good bad character. Like they did that really really well with Jamie, or like the majority of the series. Sure. But they have not been able to nail that with Daenerys. Like they want her to be like this innocent girl who's somehow like setting people on fire. And do you forgive her for that? Is she like, are you okay with her? Do her and Jon Snow have any chemistry at all? None. What's going on with that? Yep. And I don't know. I don't really like what they've done with her in general. And then the scene with her and Sansa was like so bad. It felt like really try hard. I'm really glad that they ended it with Sansa being like, getting real with her like that was probably the first earned moment i think that sansa had as being like being competent i guess (laughs) well it's funny i feel i feel the opposite in the sense that so so first to the first point here i got into it with some guys at work today and i said daenerys is cersei lannister and hear me out on this she's not as cruel yeah she's not as self-serving either um but but her whole point and she said it to sansa i've known one goal my goal is the iron throne and she has shown that she'll do anything with complete disregard for other people to get that get that thing. That's a really new goal for her because she spent seven seasons hanging out in Essos. <laughs> but but her whole goal was to, you know, the guys at work trying to make a case that like, well, she was the she's the freer of slaves. She's trying to like no. Her only goal in going to those cities was to get an army that she could go kill people with. Yeah, once she got the unsullied, she started hanging out for like 
three more seasons just doing nothing. They go free more slaves. Not more warriors, though. Just more just, just slaves, just sex workers and like people to do pottery and build buildings. Like those aren't people that are going to fight your war. She and, didn't gain a single soldier after she got the insulate. <laughs> Except for like the Kalasar. That was the one time she actually added more troops was when she got taken by some some Dothraki and then just burned down their house and then suddenly she became their leader yeah, <laughs> again. So silly. I, I think I think she's closer to Cersei than John, or she she's and uh, you know and it even showed in the end there when John revealed his lineage. It'd be better if she was more like Cersei, but she's like she they they rapidly vacillate between these two ideals and they don't. It would be more interesting if she seemed more capricious in that way. But it seems like poorly written as opposed to this character being confused about whether her way should be the 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 gloved hand or the iron fist. You know, like she should be trying to vacillate between these two extremes. And that's what makes an interesting character. But they're just not nailing it at all. And right. it's unfortunate. Yeah, I was pretty bummed out. Like you brought up the Arya or sorry, the Sansa and Daenerys thing. And I was frustrated with, with Sansa because I'm like. Now is not the time to bring this up. You don't need to introduce this sort of tension before the biggest battle of all time. Like that can wait till you can figure that out if you survive. And it seems seems weird to do that. It seemed weird that John would be like, "Hey, by the way, fuck you. I'm the rightful king." Though he didn't go about yeah. it like, like that. But it's like, dude, whoa, 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 whoa. That why? That is not. This is not the time for that, dude. It's TV. You need that dramatic tension. But yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of the time, you you have to have some suspension of disbelief of like yeah no shit this is never the right time and yeah no shit you shouldn't chop off ned stark's head and yeah no shit you shouldn't you know a lot of things shouldn't happen yeah that happens in real life too like people fuck up and do the wrong thing and i don't know it but you're right like as soon as they show john in the crypt and you see white and i'm like oh god he's gonna tell daenerys and it's gonna be a bad that's is bad timing but like that's fine from from a, a viewer's point of view it's like watching a horror movie and be like don't open the door like you know you have that sort of that commentary sure. going on in your head so that was fine that was like a fine moment i thought the acting in that scene was actually pretty good daenerys is definitely torn apart in that scene but and her trying to be like fake chummy was like well portrayed i think too the writing was a little bit bad like the actual like words that she was saying was kind of i don't know pandery and dumb sure but it was fine but a lot of the scenes were just like what's the what are they trying to do here i like, what was the point with Arya and Gendry? Like, that was really sudden and weird. I defended that today because, to me, it really lined up with... I mean, it showed a lot about both characters, but it really lined up with Arya where she's like, my life was taken from me. I, I You know, my family was killed and I was abducted and I, I went through all this stuff. And it's like, like f she said it. She's like, I'm not going to spend my last night alive with you miserable shits. <laughs> you miserable shits, yeah. And she's like, fuck it. Like I'm gonna die. I want to fuck, dude. Uh, like she's she's you know I think it lined up with wh what we've seen from her. Kind of just she's out for for number one, and she she's like Gendry, we have a history, and I want to fuck. And then it showed. I like they they later they showed you know Gendry is like I fucked, and he he was passed out, and she was sitting there awake, sort of like stewing in her discontent. And, you know, I was like I like I like that. It was a, it's human, and it lines up with her character. I like the afterward scene. I like that whole little montage when they have pod singing. I thought that song was really cool. It's a good reference to the books. The Je Jenny of Old Stones and that whole story is awesome. And having the little character moments between Sansa and Theon and uh, Gendry and Arya and like all that kind of stuff. It's like that was a good montage way to end, a, end the episode. But just the execution of 
Arya like seducing Gendry and being all like gung ho about it. It seemed like really conflicting with the what they're trying to establish with the character versus okay who she is as a as a person, like who she's become by being cat of the canals and like doing the whole faceless man training where she's been like a, a cold hearted bitch like for the past three seasons and somehow surviving knives to the to the stomach and falling into a canal or whatever the whole other thing but it seemed like a really weird it, it seemed sudden and it seemed like it could have been pulled off better if she uh went at it as like a hey i'm young and this is my first time and i'm not gonna throw you down and be all like sexy like out of nowhere like this character has never been sexy i never i didn't take it as sexy i took it as like do what i say because this is what i want and i didn't take it it wasn't like this like lovey-dovey moment she was still a bitch through the whole thing. She's like, how many people have you fucked? Like, she, it, it matched her character. It, she, it did, I guess, but I don't know. I mean, I was fine with, like, the whole interrogation scene leading up to it, but then she got, like, really aggressive, and she, like, her being the one kissing him and, like, taking his, like, stripping his shirt off and be like, you take your pants off. I'm not the red woman. Like, whatever. Like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it seemed a little bit too quippy. Sure. And it kind of d- detracted from the scene for me a little bit. I do have to say, Theon, I just, I'm frustrated with who they've decided they're, they they want to try and make these empathetic characters. Like, here's the thing about Theon, man. It really frustrated me about the reunion is Theon has fucked every person he's ever met, including his sister last season. You have fucked up and fucked everybody. You were the reason that, that Sansa's family is dead. You're you're the, you're the reason that they lost the war and that they're in the position they're in. He's not the reason Sansa's family is dead. Yeah, I mean, dude, if he hadn't if he hadn't done what he did and Rob didn't have to break up the army to go deal with with the fucking Ironborn fucking shit up for him, all thanks to Theon. You know that uh, Roose Bolton would have turned on turned on uh, what's it, Rob eventually. We like- don't know that because a lot of that. Think about it. A lot of like Catelyn deciding to release Jamie was because tensions were so high and things had gotten so bad. She took that upon herself. Roose Bolton only happened to his men only happened to run into to Brienne and Jamie. Like it was all this confluence of events that would have never been kickstarted had Rob still been winning battles. And, and Theon was the initial catalyst that led to him faltering in that war. And so I know it's there. There's an extrapolation that has to happen there, but, but for, for, Sansa to welcome him back like dude he got your fucking mom and brother killed like I just fuck Theon it's a a different it's a different level of involvement of like the cascading events that led from him taking Winterfell and Brandon Rickon running away and him being captured by Ramsay like that's a that's a level beyond him immediately saving her from being raped by Ramsay Ramsay Snow a bunch of times or like helping her escape Ramsay Bolton the rightful heir the Bolton Empire, okay? Him and a few good men with their shirts off with dogs. Oh. Uh, yeah, so I just I just thought that wasn't very earned. And I'm like, Santa, your last night alive, you're going to spend it with Theon? That doesn't track with your character at all. Like, you guys are going to sit there eating soup together with this fucking weirdo? I just doesn't track for me. Well, who else does she have to hang out with? I don't know. Her whole fucking family. I, oh, yeah. You, Arya's busy getting her bone on. Was that all John's contemporary? in a crypt. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, she could hang out with the miserable shits hanging out by a fire telling stories about sucking on giant tits. So that moment. Okay. I got to say, speaking of Tormund, he's been one of my favorite ancillary characters for a while now. I, I like the trajectory. I like how he's kind of come along and become uh, one of the brothers, you know? He's been very singular in his 
character and in what he adds to the dynamic. Yes. He hasn't been like flanderized too much. This was like leaning towards that a little bit, but I think it was just because of such a harsh contrast between everybody else having all these very serious moments. Like even the moment of like, it was very ancillary, but even the moment of Davos serving the soup to all these soldiers and the little girl comes up and Gilly comes by and tells the little girl that she can't like fight the war. She has to defend the crypts. And like, that was like a touching moment. And you see Davos being like, he misses Shireen and yeah. he misses like the fatherly impact that he has with these kids and like establishing him as a person. And then you get fucking Tormund Giants Bane asking Jamie King Kinger King Killer if he's <laughs> ever uh, killed a giant or you know all this this little moment that's that's very very stark contrast. So stark I, I do contrast. have to say nice. I do have to say that the Davos moment with the soup is one of my few genuine like hey this totally tracked for the character. It touched me. Didn't seem you know forced or ham fisted, but Tormund. Back to my point about being one of my favorite ancillary characters in the show. He ruined two of the only other genuinely like emotional moments for me, where I thought like I was about to get emotional, and it was when Ed and John meet up, and Tormund comes over for a, a fucking slapstick tackling him, and I'm like, dude, really? Like that was about the this is the last dude alive from the Night's Watch, and John's. I just really torment. And then later at the fire, I like how they all started coming together. Okay. And it's like, this is going to be this, like, this is it guys kind of thing. And that was ruined for a few reasons, but most of all, it was torment being like, Oh yeah. Well, I fucking suckle the giant's teeth. And then he chugs the fucking milk. And I'm like, Whoa, Will Ferrell, what the fuck is this? But it, it tracked for the character and it shows that all these other characters are like having this contemplative, night of like oh this could be our nat- last night alive and this is just another night for Tormund basically and I think that's fine and I think they didn't they leaned out a little bit too hard with the giant yeah the giant boob story but at the same time it was I think it was worth it to an extent and I think that he didn't take away from the true moment which was Jamie knighting Brienne which literally was like I think that was really earned and I think Brienne is like one of the few characters in like the show that's like wholly a good care a good person and well represented by the actress and like the writing is all good. She may be doing dumb things, but she's doing them for a good reason. And that the motivation is the true, like that's, that's what drives the story is character motivation. And she has the best motivation and the best execution on that motivation. I I agree to a point about, yeah, she may be doing things, dumb things, but she's doing them for a good reason. She's, she is loyal to a fault and she's honorable to a fault. And so was Ned Stark. And we loved that guy. Well, Ned Stark was legit charismatic and, and you really agreed with everything he was doing, even though he was honorable to a a fault. But I I never got the Jamie brand thing. I just didn't understand it because it was like, this guy is a literal fucking just, he is a scumbag murderer and he didn't really do anything to redeem himself other than reveal that. Yeah. I killed the guy because he was going to kill a bunch of innocent people. Well, yeah, you also fucking threw a kid from a balcony and you killed your own cousin and and you're a fucking scumbag. And she's like in love with the guy. So it didn't feel earned to me. Her getting knighted, that's great. She deserves it. She has been great. But her the her and Jamie dynamic doesn't make sense to me. And and I know that he well, like they didn't, saved they didn't her. Lean on that. They they only talked about that in the post show, and I think that ruined the moment for me more than Tormund talking about boobs. Sure. Ruined the moment. D- I don't need to hear D and D talk about how much they think that Brienne and Jamie are in love. Yeah, like they can fuck off with that. That's I want their love to be shown, not talked about by Dude. these two weird beard men. You know what ruined the fucking moment though? 
Vesuvian of Toth! You guys really fucking slow clap? Like, hey, guys, this is an emotional moment. You need to feel emotion. All right, we're gonna clap now. Do you feel the emotion yet? Dude, that was fucking awful. Wasn't that just Tormund slow clapping because he didn't understand what to do? No, he clapped, but then everyone started clapping. It was just like, it, I feel like they, they've really strayed from what made this show. Like, that 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 is not what happens on Game of Thrones. You don't slow clap during an emotional moment. That was awful. I, it took me right out. I just couldn't believe they did it to me. No, I agree. It was, it was funny. It was funny. It was fucking whatever. So, but she's cool. Brienne's great. And her smile with the tears in her eyes as she turned away. Like that was, that was a good, good on Gwendolyn Christie. Good shot. Good acting. Can I rant about Tyrion for a moment? Sure. Rant away. I, I did express some concern about his writing in the seventh season. And I was worried about what they're going to do with him in this season. The second episode is really confirmed that the writers don't, understand him well and aren't clever enough to continue writing for him the way George Martin did. I, I mean, his writing has plummeted. Everything about his character. He had one good line in this show, but everything else... Actually, I, I actually disagree with you. I think this this episode was a lot better showcase of Tyrion than the prior episode, especially his interaction with Jamie, and them being like, you know, we've known each other our entire lives, and we can be real with each other for a little bit, and we can talk about the past, and we can say, you know, we can cut to the core with each other in these moments and we see Tyrion being like you know I totally fucked up and I really shouldn't have trusted my sister that was a dumb thing but I thought that maybe just maybe her being pregnant could be like the thing that makes her like just listen to reason for fucking once you know yeah. and it's her trying it's him trying to see the good not even the good just the the logical in someone he knows is ruthless and an asshole but also self-serving enough that it might work out right and just him having that defense with Jamie in the beginning, I thought that was like a really good moment with Tyrion. And even like, I don't understand, like what is uh, Jorah Mormont's like angle at this point? Because he, he came to Tyrion's defense to Daenerys being like, you know, he's a genius and he owns up to his mistakes. And that's like a hard thing for like, everyone has mistakes. Like he pointed out like, yeah, I fucked up. You fucked up to Danny and like him saying, and then it was very clearly his idea for Daenerys to go talk to Sansa and try to patch that up because he knows that you need the North and he's a North Northerner. So he knows that like a Southerner is not going to just waltz in and be like accepted as their queen, especially after all the shit they've gone through with the royalty in general. Jorah's angle is he's a good ass dude who wants to a survive and B he cares about his people. It's just really weird because he was such a shit heel for like so long and what changed? Like he got some like weird disease that they, they fixed in an episode like I have to disagree with you here because you haven't watched the show. He's a vastly different character than than the book Jorah vastly different because it seemed like he was just like he wanted to fuck this teenager and then he couldn't fuck the teenager. So he got kicked out and he was a spy for Robert Baratheon. He got uh, shipped over to Essos because he didn't take the black because he was caught selling slaves to slavers in the east. And that's why he got exiled. <laughs> He was selling criminals, not innocent people. To be slaves. Yes. Like, it doesn't matter. The end result is the same. Yeah, but but in the show, he is very briefly reporting on Daenerys and then quickly comes to his senses and says, hey, this might actually be what's best for the kingdom. But he never wants his show to want to fuck Daenerys ever. Like, it's implied that, like, he really loves her. He really cares about her and he wants to protect her. But it's never in a creepy way. Jorah is never portrayed the way... In, in, in the book, he's very much a creep. He's very much a sort of plotting just uh, that's a plotting with with two d's not two t's 
you know, from my understanding of the characterization in the book, but in the show, he's 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 he owns up for his mistakes and he really wants what's best for the people he cares about. And I really like Jorah. In my notes, actually, I say I really like Jorah. What a bummer it'll be when he dies because you know he's fucking dead. But yeah, he just got a cool sword. Yeah, he has to die, dude. So I, okay, I have so many things. I got to go back to the Tyrion thing, but just the sword thing, real quick. Fucking Sam comes up to him and he's like, "I know you killed my family, but." Please take this sword. And then Jorah's like, great, I'll wield it in my own father's honor. And it's like, that's weird. And then Sam's like, bye. By the way, I hope we win. Yeah, I literally okay. I made that same comment. Like, I know you just killed my dad and my brother, but uh, here's their sword. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's awful. Like, I just, that was so silly to me. But so I didn't mean to be like an asshole when I was like, you haven't watched the show. Jorah is not the way he's portrayed in the book. Okay. And that's, that's a, that's a fair thing to say, especially since I haven't seen all the seasons, but like, yeah, even from the first two seasons that I saw in full and then the last three that I've seen in full, they haven't really portrayed him as like a fully honorable person. He's just sort of been like sycophantic and like, he's always seeking Danny's approval, but like not doing well enough for her, I guess. So it's like, it's yeah. not shown. His character hasn't been like shown to be, I don't know, like what's his what's his goal? They haven't really shown that very well enough. I mean, his me, goal literally is to just serve Daenerys. He believes that she is going to be a good what a queen. This character, then, <laughs> I mean, to a degree. The thing with Tyrion that bugged me, he did have a line that I thought was really great. I liked his line uh, when uh, him and Jamie were walking toward the rampart, but they weren't there yet. Where they're talking about how Cersei fooled them, or something. Like, he said something about Cersei always using the truth to fool others. And then Tyrion said something to Jamie that was like, you were never fooled by Cersei though. You loved her despite like the awful person that she was. You always knew she was, but you loved her anyway. That was a good line. And then when they're around the hearth and they're, they're warming up by the fire and they, this group starts growing and then pouring the big cup for, for pod, you know, that's like a little character moment. That's good. That was a nice, that was a nice moment. I like that. And pod's face who like, <laughs> getting away with pod this the rod, dude he pawed the rod turns out he actually just sang to those chicks to those those the halls oh, and that was Danny. it dude he had a great voice that was a nice nice little bit so the thing about Tyrion that bugged me this episode okay two things one on the micro and one in the macro the the big picture thing is that they spent a whole season showing that like he can fuck up and he did fuck up and he's suffering the consequences for that but I argue that that is at uh, uh, th that is out of character because like Sansa said in the last episode, I used to think you were always the smartest character in the room. His whole character is that he is the smartest character in the room, but he gets shit on anyway. Everything that's ever happened to him, he's been right, but he still gets shit on. And, and I'm okay to show that he's fallible, but it's been like it totally, a lot of it didn't make sense. It was just like, lost uh Oh, just so you know, uh Oh, we're back. Oh, we're back. All right. That was a, that was a scary moment. We thought uh, that that was the end. Oh, no. And so it's like, I like, again, showing that maybe he's fallible. That's okay. But it just didn't, it seemed out of character. A lot of the things, at least with the Cersei thing, was like, okay. I don't, I don't know how out of character it is. I think Tyrion's biggest flaw is that he thinks he's the smartest person in the room at all times. He is, And that was, the, that was the biggest, no, he is not. The whole arc with Shay, are you kidding me? Where he just did everything to fuck himself out of his hand. Like, everything and then Tywin swoops in fucks his girl 
gets him thrown in prison. I mean, Tyrion gets the last laugh by shooting his dad on the shitter, but what a hell of a victory <laughs> that is, both. right? Yeah. Yeah, and then he gets sent off to Essos and somehow tricks a dragon queen into making him making him her hand. You know, like he really screwed the pooch left to right in this whole the entire time he was in King's Landing. So I think this is perfectly in line with his character okay. to like think that he's got it figured out, but to be totally wrong about it. And yeah, it's it's a sting to have Sansa be the one to deliver that message to the the viewers. But like, it was totally true. I don't and know. That's man. like that's 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 in line with with Tyrion. I'm I'm still not convinced because I'm trying to think of one time he was shown to be to ha- to not be the one in the right. Like, yeah, he he did a lot of dumb shit, but whenever he was like, "This is the way things are, and this is how they need to be." I think that's more of a more of a fault of them making him too infallible in the past. Like okay. they shouldn't have propped him up, up to be this paragon of truthiness, only to have him have this major fuck up at the the eleventh hour. Like, yeah, that's totally out of character. Yeah. If you only see him as as being always right, but like, I think of him more in the the context of the books and him being an idiot and like a whoremonger and this alcoholic that has a lot of good ideas and sees a lot of truth and speaks to truth, but isn't always perfectly uh, accurate in his assessment of reality sometimes. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I feel like they w- they went zero to 60, or 60 to zero, rather, where they, they're really portraying him to sort of be a dimwit, and and it just frustrated me how that, that, that switch was flipped, and it just, he doesn't seem like himself. But a couple of things that frustrated me, his lines felt really forced. A couple of things, like, so first off, on four different occasions, he was like, we're gonna die. Ha ha. Remember that, guys? And I'm like, all right. The first time, like, well, the first time he's like, can you imagine? Well, first off, he says, I wish dad were here. Jamie should have freaked out. Dude, there should be more tension. That That is one place where I think tension would be warranted at the final hour. It's him being like, I wish dad were here. And Jamie's like, what the fuck, asshole? You know, <laughs> like, are you serious? Open up that wound again. I mean, he gave the look. And then he's like, yeah, we're, we're uh, all that time fighting the Starks. And here we are. We're going to die in Winterfell. Like, cool. That's all you need to say. But then over and over, he kept being like, hey, guys, we're just here to warm up and, you know, and contemplate your imminent doom. Like, it was so over the top. I just didn't like it. I didn't notice that at all because I think Tyrion is Tyrion is the consummate fatalist. <laughs> like, in all cases, he's like, oh, we're, we're fucked. <laughs> maybe I'm just maybe I'm just reading too much into it. And and then at the well, you're talking about at the very end, he's like, well, when we get out of this, he's like, oh, I know. I actually, I think we might make it. Like, he actually laughs about it. Everyone's like, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Everyone's got these weird moods about it. Can we talk that uh, Tyrion is the only person who's actually sought out Bran to be like, hey, so tell me about what happened. What's going on with you? No one else gives a shit. No one fucking cares. Sansa gives him a hug and he says a weird thing. And then Sansa's like, okay, well, bye. Yeah, I looked beautiful the night I got raped. That's a weird thing for you to fucking say. Really things weird. we do for love, Jamie. Just uh, that was a okay. nice. That was a nice moment. I was like, oh damn, Jamie, because that. Was, but it was out of character for Bran, because Bran is very much like, I'm not Bran. I'm the Three Eyed Raven, and I don't care what happened to me. But he like he's dropping fucking bombs in the courtroom, being like the things we do for love, bitch. Like, it well, just, I don't think it was a. It was. I don't think it was like a a, a tea drinking, you know, hot take slinging. Bran Stark, you know, mocking Jamie. I think it was just like reminding him, hey, I have power over you. And 
I don't know. He also just says weird things. Like he just sort of repeats what he what he sees and what he knows and what he remembers. And his memory at this point is not the memory of a person, but the memory of someone who's seen everything that these weird trees have seen. So like he's disconnected in a way that he's probably just saying things that he's making cognitive like connections with sure. in general. I don't know. It's a weird thing. And it's fine. It's it serves the purpose of being like Dramatic tension. Yeah. But it didn't seem like weirdly out of character or anything. But I think it, it talks to, to uh, Tyrion recognizing and seeking knowledge. Like that's part of his character too. Is like he loves reading. He loves like learning things and knowing things. And it makes sense for him to seek out Bran and like actually pull up a chair and sit and listen when no one else has had the time or right. the inclination to. Also, that's hella foreshadowing. You fucking kidding me? That's right. hella foreshadowing. Oh. He's going to know that John is Aegon. Sure. Inevitably. A, Bran is has been the most underserved character. His arc was totally out there, totally random, still imperative to the plot, but they didn't do enough to bring that in and make us care and make us uh, really understand what's really happening with the guy. And then he sure. just shows up and is now being used as a convenient little plot device when he, he needs to be. He, you know, they're in the with the war room and they're talking about the plan, and he's like, "The Night King knows where I'm at at all times. He marked me," and everyone's like. Okay, well, we'll keep you by the trees. Like, no one was like, what the fuck? What do you mean he marked you? You guys hung out in a dream? He tried to kill you? Oh, that's where Hodor went. Thanks for the heads up now. Yeah. You got a homing, homing missile pointed right at you. Yeah. We've just been housing you. Yep. Um, dude, we're definitely getting a zombie Hodor, right? Oh, uh, yeah, probably. We're and definitely. Zombie giants. Speaking of zombie giants and CGI budget in general, yeah. we got a single scene where they had a shot with, with a ghost in the background. Oh uh, yeah, I saw that. I mean, people are like, "Where's he been?" It's like he's been in Castle Black. Why didn't y'all remember that? Like after the whole, uh, the whole drama. No, he was at Winterfell. That's what I meant. He was at Castle Black, and he entered. He came back down to Winterfell with John, and he just stayed there. And they've been at Winterfell for like ever now. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a while, but he's been there. But like, what purpose? You know, what what would he have served in the story? Like, he's just there. He's hanging out. He's a fucking dope. I don't know what's what purpose does it serve for anything to be anywhere. It's I want to see the fucking dog. Yeah, fair. He's the fair. only dire wolf left. I mean, besides Nymeria that's running off in the woods, but like, come on. Yeah. Shaggy dog down. Gray wind is down. Summer's down. Fucking lady got killed in the first season. Oh. Like, it's all done for, dude. I didn't do enough, you know, building into the dire wolf thing. It was so sudden. It was like one for each of the Stark children. And then, yeah, it seems like uh, George Martin was like, yeah, this is a good idea. And then like, ah, no, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> So, except for Bran, who can warg into people and make Hodor go crazy back in the past, everyone in the crypts are gonna die in the next episode, right? They can, they lean a little too hard into the the crypts are safe, the crypts that's where you'll be okay. Guard the crypts, wink, wink, because they don't need to be guarded, bro. You literally have a bunch of dudes who can raise the dead, and you're putting all the most vulnerable people into a literal fucking like everybody come hide in the you know graveyard underneath the city. There might be a fight scene down there, but I don't think it, they're going to all die. I mean, you've got just the, the Stark family line down there. And are they, are they interred? Like, are they, are they just, are their bones just hanging out in the open? Can they raise, can they raise a fully decrepit, dried up skeleton? No, I think they need like musculature and ligaments. We might get a zombie Magic. Ned. Ooh, that'd be cool. Magic, bro. That's just, just the only, the only undead Ned. That would be really weird, dude. Um, people think that we might get the lady, uh, lady Stoneheart. No, they didn't show that. They didn't show Thoros bringing her back. No, but just the. I wonder if her remains are. Hmm, I wonder 
if she made her back she got thrown film. in the in the well in the i don't know they showed where her body went in the in the show but in the books after they slit her throat they threw her in the river you know yeah. they're at river run or right. uh, the twins so that's where thoros found her and brought her back I mean, they could do something with like Melisandre, but she's off in Essos now. She has to come back to Westeros eventually this season because she had that very ominous little scene with Varys where she said, you know, you and I are both going to die in Westeros. Yep. But I don't know. Yeah. Fucking, are they going to do that in episode three? What what point does that serve? Yeah. I think we might see some like familiar faces be brought back as as whites, but like only in like a passing montage scene. I don't know if we're going to actually get like a a one-two shot between like the realization on John's face that that's egret. Like sure. Maybe, but like, I don't know. Yeah. They also burned all the dead during the, after that fight, didn't they? It's true. No, we're going to get, we're going to get Hodor. I feel like, and that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head, but maybe, uh, maybe Benjen, uh, Benjen can't be turned. They'll just be dead because the, the children of the forest saved him and he was half turned. I don't think he can be. I think they just was that established. I don't even remember that being established. Yeah, that was went, a long time. That's ago. how they because he he was essentially dead when he saved John. He's already dead. Yeah, because he's he's a. Uh, I think they combined his character with Cold Hands from the book, or if they just never established that Cold Hands is Benjamin in the show, or the other way around. But I, I don't know. know. I don't know. That's all a blur to me. Oh, overall, I I just I feel like two things here. One is that I am. I think it being disserviced by watching weekly because my expectations are here. I don't really know what I want. I just want something satisfying and I haven't gotten it. And so now I'm at a point where I'm like two episodes have gone by and nothing has happened. And now you only have four episodes left to tell this fucking story that we want all these things to wrap up. And all you've done is set more shit up. You haven't closed any fucking loops and you're just going to kill a bunch of people next episode. So I'm really frustrated with that. But then B, I just, I'm like, I just really want to enjoy these character interactions. Like why, didn't I enjoy it as much as I wanted to? Because this really is the last you're going to see of a lot of these characters ever together. And that was the whole point of this episode was this is the last night together and everything's going to change next week. And, you know, enjoy enjoy them while they're here. And I'm just irritated. Well, I think next episode is going to be very satisfying to watch. Because it's the same director that did Battle of the Bastards. Oh, yeah. So you know for a fact there's going to be some good-ass battle sequences. And Hard Home. And Hard Home. Yeah. So I'm going to be pumping that shit up to 11, playing it hella loud, getting real into it next week. Going to be stoked. After that, I can't speak to the quality of uh, (laughs) how they actually wrap up the series. I can't. I don't know. I don't have high expectations. I just want to see where they take it. And I guess I didn't have the same experience as you because I didn't really, uh, when I went back and watched season one and two, I didn't binge it. I kind of watched them consecutively, not hella rapidly, not over like to the span of two weekends, but it was like over a month I watched those uh, seasons. But then the last three seasons I've been watching week to week and I I like that way of uh, taking it all in. And it's really nice because obviously you get the water cooler moments, you get the the memes, you get the the chats. It's like a, you know, it's almost like weekly television was successful for a, forever for a right. reason, right? Yeah, I do. Uh, that that's the one redeeming uh, quality, you know, so far for me is is every Monday morning we get back to work, we start yelling about it. But I want to go in and just say, wow, I can't believe they did that, and I never expected something could be so satisfying. I don't want to go in. And, and you say, missed seven years of that already. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like a real. You got that with Breaking Bad for like a single season, weren't you? Like 
retroactively yeah. catching up with that too. Yeah, I think I I watched the yeah season five one and two uh, contemporarily with you know as they aired, but I got into that show yeah pretty late twenty twelve when I got into that show. So you know, such is life, Nick. This is much lower in like the echelon of high quality dramatic TV versus Breaking Bad. This is more of like a really cool soap opera with dragons and swords and stuff. Sure. And you kind of have to have that expectation going into it. It's like, oh, you're here to watch people get betrayed and watch them fuck and watch them fight and say say some quips and have dramatic one-two shots for it. It's like, oh. Right. Oh. Oh. We're looking at each other and really acting with our eyes. Sure. <laughs> Breaking Bad, though, that's the golden standard for how you end a show. You wrap up all the characters. Everyone kind of gets the ending they deserve. You have some B-plot Nazis come in at the 11th hour. Well, yeah. Just to that show that, you know, nothing really mattered to, to to begin with. Walter White got got shot down with his weird Gatling gun trunk car. It's what he deserved. It's what he deserved. And Jesse was freed, and he deserved that. Can't wait till the Breaking Bad movie comes out, finally. Oh, God. Just what we need. My phone my or my laptop's on 3% battery, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, next week, I, I will say it's a little... I'm a little perturbed two episodes in. I feel like if this were a 10-episode season, these first two episodes are a little more forgivable for me. I have issues with some of the writing, but I'm like, okay. We'll have to, we'll have to wait until it's all said and done to see how everything shakes out in the That's long true. term. That's true. But I'm like, y'all did a six-episode season so you could take your budget and do this battle? I don't want more battle. I want... You know what I mean? You like need a, one more battle, though. One more you battle. One more. But it doesn't need to be the biggest battle ever on the in history of of, of television or or film. You know, it doesn't need and to then be you that. Do smaller battles. See, here's the thing: the hound is going to survive this fight, and it's going to be a hound versus the the mountain. The Clegane Bowl Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It's going down. I'm going to scalp some tickets on that shit, dude. <laughs> uh, I, the Clegane Bowl doesn't hold as much of a uh, place in my heart. Not as much weight now that. Sander, but uh, uh, the mountain, whatever the fuck his name is, is real fucking dead. He's not the mountain yeah. anymore. And they haven't shown him to be like a, a character really exactly. for the past like four seasons, exactly. so it doesn't really matter too much. Yeah, But still, yeah, for the hound's sake, for him, you know? Yeah. Let's do it for Sander. What, you know what one of my notes was? Let me let me verbatim here, just so I don't want to fuck this up here. Boop, 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 boop. Nice. Uh, I said, I said, the hound is still the man. Shouts out to my emo boy. <laughs> just like oh, yeah, this cool little side swoop hair, dude. Just hanging out, getting drunk on the top of the castle by himself, miserable. And shit. then Derek Dandarian rolls in like a weird, a weird smiling guy, looking like a like a dollar store Ewan McGregor. <laughs> right? Oh, it's funny. Well, Nick, this has been the Console Crusade. We talked. That was, we think we talked more Game of Thrones. Than we did video games. Uh, we're gonna do it every week. Video Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. We're, ooh, ooh, ooh! Bazinga! Go Blazers! <laughs>